Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and tonight we come to you, you know, not live, but Andrew and I are live right now, 7.09 p.m., ready to talk all things free agency. Last time you heard from us was Sunday night. We were trying to break down what was maybe going to happen. Well, now we have three days of finding out exactly what ha- what has happened. So at the time of this recording, we still have some big names out there, Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel. We got Kenny Galladay starting to tease some meetings, but nothing really figured out just yet. So fingers crossed we don't have anything too crazy uh, uh, break between now and this getting put up on uh, Thursday morning, but it is what it is, as they say. So I am joined, not quite as always, but you know, a lot of the time he is a PFF analyst himself, Andrew Erickson. Find him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, happy free agency, man. We've had, you know, more news in the last three days. I think we had in the previous uh, two months combined. Yeah, and it seems like we're still waiting on the wide receiver bubble to finally pop with all of these high-profile guys. I mean, we've got you know Nelson Aguilar's got a team, Kendrick Bourne's got a team, John Ross has got a team, and we've got a bunch of these high-profile guys still waiting. So again, we're here to break down the news. That's what's happened, but we still have so much more to go. Yeah, classic, you know, office meme with Michael and the two other guys holding guns at each other going on right now with Fuller, Curtis. Some people some people are giving me crap for not including a Juju in that big three, but, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if I have to eat those words or not. I'm not thrilled about where Juju Smith-Schuster goes uh, in 2021. Shoot me, everybody. I mean, come on. With that said, we're going to go through position by position of guys that have signed somewhere. So, you know, we'll have other words on the Curtis Samuels and Will Fullers of the world at a later date. But for now, we're going to let those guys try to find their new team. Not put too much added pressure on their backs. I know it's a big decision in their lives. So, Andrew, let's kick things off at the quarterback position. First off, Andy Dalton, who signed a one-year, $10 million contract with the Bears. Are you at all enthused about anyone involved in this Chicago Bears offense, Andrew, other than Allen Robinson for however long he happens to stay there? I tried to find a way to turn it to be something good for Allen Robinson. I found out Andy Dalton is actually the highest-graded quarterback for Allen Robinson, 69.6, nice. 24th grade this past season, which would have been the highest of any quarterback that Allen Robinson has had during his career. Not by much, but yeah, it's it's a sigh for me. You're, It's the same thing with Allen Robinson. Again, he's going to get targeted. He's going to be a top eight fantasy wide receiver, but you're not moving the needle with Andy Dalton. With Dalton under center last year, Amari Cooper averaged 14.8 fantasy points per game. That was 22nd at the position. Lamb and Michael Gallup were under 13 points per game and outside the top 40 wide receivers. So Andy Dalton is not one of the players that is going to rise to the occasion and help elevate his playmakers around him. It's quite the opposite, actually. He really needs a supporting cast to help him be a better quarterback. So for me, again, it's it's definitely not it's not great. Some of his parts, QB, very well could be, and I think probably is an upgrade over Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, particularly what they were doing in the year 2020. But let's not pretend like he was, you know, anything resembling great with the Cowboys last year. They got going a little bit towards the end of the year, at least 30 points in four of his final seven starts. But strictly from a fantasy perspective, which is what this podcast is named, I mean, this is not someone we should even look at touching. In that Cowboys offense with Cooper, with CeeDee Lamb, with Michael Gallup, uh, Zico Elliott, if we're still, you know, including him in the playmaker group. I mean, even in that offense, Andy Dalton in starts last year finished as the QB 22, QB 27, 14, 22, 18, 21, 18. Had four one week, 
Top four QB week, great. And then QB 25 to finish the year. So literally one week as a QB one and really only one other week as even a high-end QB two. So in fantasy land, he's going to a worse situation. I don't think we want to go anywhere really near this offense. And even with Allen Robinson, man, like at this point, do we really want to be using a top 10 draft pick on him? Because, hey, on the one hand, if he leaves Chicago, he's probably going to have a quarterback upgrade. But there's also not a ton of other offenses that are going to be able to necessarily feed him 150 targets from the get-go. So interesting situation. A-Rob's a baller. We all love Allen Robinson. But, man, like this was not the QB answer we were hoping to have at the time of uh, this recording. No, it wasn't. Allen Robinson was someone that I wrote up you know, multiple times, you as well, just talking about the future, the potential, if he gets with a better quarterback. And, you know, the Bears give him credit. They tried. Tried to get Russell Wilson, three first rounders, another third, two additional starters. You know, they sold the farm to try to get Russell Wilson to Chicago, but ultimately Pete Carroll stepped in and was like, no, we're keeping Russ. We're going to run the football. We need his arm to hand it off to our running backs. We need Russ to not cook. So here we are. Here we are. All right, moving on to the NFC East. Ryan Fitzpatrick has signed a one-year $12 million contract with the Washington football team. Andrew, I think I love it. So with Fitzpatrick, like, he's been a boomer bust QB throughout his career, but man, particularly over these last few years, he's been far more boom than bust. And I mean, look, the issue last year was they had Tua there, you know, number five overall pick. They wanted to try to get him out there and see what he could do. But just on the year, it wasn't like people got this idea that Tua was bad because Fitzpatrick was outplaying him. No, Fitzpatrick was out, would have been outplaying, you know, a good 70% of the NFL's quarterbacks last year. PFF passing grade, he was 21st among 44 qualified guys, but he was tied for ninth in yards per attempt and number 12 in uh, adjusted completion rates. So truly good things were happening with Fitzpatrick last season. And really it's been over the last two years, particularly in fantasy land that we've seen again, way more good than bad. When he got the job back from Josh Rosen in 2019, he finished as fantasy's overall QB two in week seven through 17. And then last year before he lost the job, you know, quote unquote, lost it to Tua he was a QB8 in weeks one through six so Fitz man he's one of those guys where Andrew we were talking about this uh, on a best ball stream like okay Ryan Fitzpatrick I don't think anyone's gonna be ranking him as a QB1 as we enter you know redraft season and stuff but with that said once we get to week one unless they're playing you know some juggernaut defense it's gonna be hard to keep Fitzpatrick out of the top 12 out of the 14 quarterbacks and because of that we might just be looking at the prime late round quarterback of the year in Ryan Fitzpatrick do you feel the same way Andrew? He's prime waiver wire week one. I'm already, I can already envision myself writing up the piece. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's at the top of the list. And the only concern I have with Fitzpatrick really has to just do with the team itself, the Washington football team built around defense. So we've seen it a little bit, even last year, Fitzpatrick did kind of come back a little bit from his, you know, DGAF quarterback because Miami was a better team. They had a, a, they had a defense that was legit and the football team again, Adding in William Jackson is one of the better moves that they made. So they have, again, are going to be bringing back a top five defense. So that's the only concern is if they actually are at playing with leads, will Fitzpatrick bring the same type of, you know, YOLO mentality? That's the only thing. But again, he's been efficient even when they've been playing with a lead. So again, it's not necessarily something that would shy me away, especially with Fitzpatrick, because at the end of the day, he's going to be, he's going to be a free quarterback. No one's going to rank him in their top 15, but he'll probably end up ranking there at the end of the year. 
As for Terry McLaurin, that's someone that will be nowhere near the waiver wire because he is a legit top 12 <laughs> fantasy wide receiver people. I mean, the ceiling is a roof for Terry McLaurin in 2021. Ryan Fitzpatrick has had eight seasons where he started at least 10 games. His number one wide receiver has posted target totals of 128, 128, 137, 134, 141, 146, 148, and even 173 to old man Brandon Marshall back in the day. So truly, Terry McLaurin, he was already putting up huge numbers with a collection of quarterbacks that was already kind of making him his generation's Allen Robinson and before him Andre Johnson like it was getting so brutal for Terry McLaurin but here comes Ryan Fitzpatrick the guy that saved Devontae Parker's career he revived uh, Brandon Marshall he got Stevie Johnson cooking all these guys are great wide receivers in their own right I'm not trying to say Fitzpatrick made them or anything like that but you know we see this every single year these quarterbacks just completely screw with these wide receivers fantasy value I think we can safely say Fitzpatrick will only enhance what McLaurin brings to the table, really regardless of if they add another weapon to this offense. I mean, Andrew, we got to love Terry McLaurin right now, and even to a lesser extent, Logan Thomas, because, look, two people in this passing game are going to be putting up solid numbers, and thank God it's not going to be J.D. McKissick again, because we know Fitzpatrick's actually going to be throwing the ball down the field. Maybe it's not Logan Thomas. Maybe it is, you know, number two wide receiver who just isn't on the team yet, but at a minimum, Terry McLaurin all day, every day, and twice in best ball drafts. Of course. You got to be on Terry McLaurin this year. This is a season where he could finally have a ceiling type of campaign. Again, he's always been, he's been in the fringe wide receiver one range. He really hasn't had that chance to be a top five guy, top eight guy because of the quarterback play that he's been, you know, subjected to. Case Keenum, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Alex Smith, and Kyle Allen. Again, you listed those guys. Last year, his quarterbacks, besides Heineke in the two games that he played, all ranked out the, the top 48 quarterbacks in average depth of throw. Ryan Fitzpatrick ranks fourth in average depth of target or, or throw since 2018. So again, you're going to see may, way more opportunities for McLaurin to win downfield. You know, PFF receiving grade, seventh passer rating, seventh on 20-plus yard throws since 2019. And one of the receivers that ranks ahead of him in that category is Devontae Parker, who obviously famously had a top two, you know, fantasy wide receiver season at the back half of the 2019 year. Fun stuff in D.C. I cannot wait to watch this football team now. And that was not the case for a lot of time last year. Usually we were holding our breasts just praying that Alex Smith <laughs> wouldn't get hurt. Now we got Fitzpatrick going out there and doing Fitz magic things. NFC East uh, making a comeback in 2021. Absolutely love to see it. Next up, we got Jameis Winston who signed a one-year $12 million deal with the Saints. Were you surprised? Well, you shouldn't have been if you've been listening to this podcast because a, a Saints reporter Nick Underhill told us back in February that Jameis would be the man. Now, we do have reports coming out saying that it's Jameis and Taysom Hill. We're going to see a bit of a quarterback controversy here, a quarterback competition, uh, I guess is a better way of putting it. We'll see, man. I mean, look, they had a four-year stretch run, four-year, four-start stretch run with Taysom Hill in 2020. If Sean Payton had seen everything he wanted to see, Jameis Winston wouldn't be with the team right now. I think the $12 million deal when he only got $1 million last year is another indication that Jameis should be considered the favorite right now. Look, Taysom, they can line him up anywhere. Sean Payton can get his fix of Taysom Hill that he needs on every single Sunday without starting the freaking guy at quarterback. You know, it's going to be annoying if and when Jameis does win the job to see Taysom come in. But 
I think it's got to be Jameis. And if it's Jameis, man, we should be recognizing right now in best ball drafts, as we were doing uh, last night, that, you know, these, the Saints offense is going to put up points and we're going to want the guy that's going to be under center most often on the fantasy squads, particularly while this remains a competition, which puts both guys outside the top 20. I took Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston in the same fantasy draft to pretty much lock <laughs> up a quarterback spot and give me, uh, you know, the Saints QB. Now, I know there's an argument saying that I screwed myself because there's no scenario where both Jameis and Taysom ball out this year so you know if we want all 20 picks 18 picks to be ceiling plays yeah one of those is not going to be a ceiling play but again man I feel like at their reduced cost right now it's almost worth it because this offense even though it's not going to be you know the high end just completely blow you away number one scoring offense that Breeze orchestrated for so many years they're still going to put up points are you with me on you know let's get in front of Jameis inevitably winning this competition I agree. I do think that it's going to be Jameis. Again, Nick Underhill, a Saints reporter. It's hard to go against what he's kind of mapping out for the Saints plan. And again, you know, some people are falling. Like a lot of people still don't understand the $140 million, you know, Taysom Hill contract, which again, if you're just tuning in now, it's, it's not real. It's basically about as real as monopoly money. You can't, it's just all about big restructuring. So he would have a salary cap, his cap hit would be reduced this season. And basically, I'm pretty sure the $140 million was basically just a, you know, a nod towards Russell Wilson's contract, which was, which was also at $140 million. So again, don't look at the contract situation as, oh, well, Taysom Hill, he should be the guy. He's making X amount of money. That's definitely not the reason why you should be looking to Taysom Hill. But it's definitely interesting because that's the ambiguity between the quarterbacks is really the reason why they're both going so late. Because, yeah, if we knew who the clear starter was, they would be a you know a prime guy to go after. It's like, hey, good offensive pieces around them, like you said. But now you can get them basically at the 18th round, 17th round of a best ball draft. So it's like, hey, if I just take one and happen to just get lucky with the guy that ends up being the starter, okay, then it's going to immediately return value. And, again, we see this all the time with guys getting hurt. You know, quarterbacks step in all the time. So, Again, you could take some you know, random receiver in the 18th round. You could take a guy that could actually contribute to your roster, which would end up being one of these Saints quarterbacks. I guess for me, I guess I still kind of lean towards wanting Taysom Hill to kind of be the starter just based on the fact that I think that if he actually plays, he might actually score more fantasy points than James Winston because he has that rushing upside. So even though I think Winston should be the guy and will be the starter, okay, like what happens if he has a five interception game and he gets benched and then they go with Taysom Hill okay well is that better for fantasy now that we have Taysom Hill and again it's been a year since we've seen Jameis and has he kind of you know tamed his wild arm to an extent and will he be the same type of gunslinger again the last time we saw him was with Bruce Arians totally different offense he was chucking the ball downfield all the time he had two top tier wide receivers he doesn't really have that he's Michael Thomas but again Kamara is more out of the backfield so a lot of things at play here but at the same time there's no cost there's no cost to kind of taking a risk on on either of the quarterbacks if we get Taysom Hill then we have Taysom Hill and that's it Michael Thomas too which I mean is a credit to Michael Thomas the fact that he comes back from that ankle injury halfway through the season loses Drew Brees and goes for 100 yards in two of his four games with freaking a tight end under center is incredible and we saw him do the same thing last year or in 2019 uh, with Teddy Bridgewater who then we saw throw 15 freaking touchdowns all year with one of the better wide receiver cores in the league over with the Panthers like Michael Thomas has had the you know, worse than oldest. I don't want to say worse because Breeze was still putting up numbers, but at least in terms of arm talent, you know, 
We'll go with the oldest form of Drew Brees. That one's true. Oldest form of Drew Brees, Taysom freaking Hill and Teddy Bridgewater over the past two years, and we still got people chastising the man any freaking chance they get. So cannot wait for the Michael Thomas comeback season. And we know he can do it with any quarterback, so that's great. But if it is going to be Jameis over Taysom, then I'm back treating Alvin Kamara as a legit top six RB, not someone that's, that's kind of in that, you know, just I think a big mess of guys kind of after the top three or four backs uh, could definitely move him up and lock him in a little bit safer. And then we could also get really behind Adam Trotman, Traquan Smith, maybe even your guy, Deontay Harris. But right now, things are just so muddled, uh, you know, in terms of skill position, guys, I think Troutman's really the only other number two option I feel a little bit confident with going. So, you know, going to be the premier quarterback competition to watch, uh, you know, as the offseason continues to unfold. But right now, on March 17th, uh, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is Team Jameis, and we are confident that he will win this job. So we're going with that for now. If we get more information, we'll, you know, consider adjusting the opinion. But right now, Team Jameis over here. Andrew, last uh, quarterback, you know, thing to talk about a little bit is Tyrod Taylor going to the Texans. So the Sean Watson situation, we got a... John McClain, you know, one of the best uh, reporters in the league when it comes to just actually knowing kind of what's going on uh, inside of his uh, organization's uh, walls. And, you know, he did say that the Texans have not outright said they will not trade Deshaun Watson since January. He believes that Watson will be traded. That would mean Tyrod Taylor would be the starter in Houston. Andrew, any fantasy love for Tyrod Taylor after both of us were optimistic with what he could do at least in the early season with the Chargers last year? I can't go back to, to Tyrod here. Can't it's, do it. It's going to be awful. Again, we think about the bad teams, even the Jaguars last year, the New York. I, I think that the Jets honestly were a worse team for fantasy. At least we had James Robinson to hang our hats on, but the Jets every single week would tease us with air yards and opportunity with Michael P. Ryan or Ty Johnson. But the thing with the Texans right now is, okay, Brandon Cooks was looking kind of interesting as the only target potentially, but you know, he's now going to clearly have his worst quarterback by far in his career if he has Tyrod Taylor throwing him the ball. Again, I almost think that they're using Tyrod Taylor as like, hey, this guy can run around. We don't need to really put an offensive line in front of him. Like, he'll do it. I mean, he came back from a punctured lung. I'm sure he'll, he'll do fine. <laughs> like, this just seems like an absolute disaster, especially with David Johnson, who just keeps piling up accolades to fade him, his age, adding Mark Ingram. Tyrod Taylor's going to take away all the running back targets. I just, David Johnson, 10th round may not be late enough. And look, a lot of times, I mean, we were talking about Fitzpatrick, maybe an issue being just how good the Washington football team defense likely will be. I mean, we want a bad defense, but not really for Tyrod Taylor, who's going to struggle to put up numbers if he's forced to become a one-dimensional passer. Like, we want Tyrod with a good defense where they can, you know, stay in the game, really use his dual threat ability, and get back to, you know, being the QB7, which he was in Fantasyland 2015 and 2016. Problem is, that was now a full half decade ago, and we are not talking <laughs> about a good offense either. We are talking about a truly abysmal group at the Houston Texans that put together if you remove Deshaun Watson from the equation. So, you know, last year, again, the uh, idea... Big time Joe Burrow, believer, going to fantasy last year. And with him starting the year against the Chargers, I thought we can get Tyrod as a free end, end of your draft, you know, stream in week one, week two. Obviously did not anticipate his lung getting punctured. So I'll take the L on that one, but we were not going to make the same mistake twice. Tyrod Taylor, we are out on him and pretty much everybody else uh, with the Texans and fantasy land right now. Ingram's getting overdrafted. David Johnson hasn't fallen enough since uh, his ADP before. Brandon Cooks really isn't that much of a value right now. If you elite fantasy drafts without a 
single Houston Texan people. That is not a bad thing. Uh, quick shout out here. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of action. Bet $4 on an underdog. Win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn. Again, $4 and $256 for the underdog if you're choosing. Pulls off the upset. That's code PFF to turn. One more time, $4 and $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Love you, DraftKings. Andrew, Packers love Aaron Jones. He is back with them inexplicably. We all thought Jamal Williams would probably be back. Not Aaron Jones, but here we are. I believe it was four years, uh, $48 million. Pulling up. Yeah, four years, $48 million. You know, they front load a lot of it. So as we see with a lot of these four-year deals, sometimes they can get out after two or three. But at least for the foreseeable future, Aaron Jones is the Packers feature back. And at least for his own fantasy stock, it's great news. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had to move Aaron Jones up the rankings after I think I had him ranked like 12th overall just before when we were trying to feel out where he was going to end up landing and I had to move him up to RB9. So I had guys like Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Ezekiel Elliott, just kind of wanted to get a, a feel for where he's going to be. And I guess he's locked and loaded as a top 10 guy and he's not costing you a first round pick right now. You can get him in the second round for the most part. And it just seems like that's just an absolute value. You can't beat what he's been doing. Again, it's concerning. You know, they lost the center. Lindsley, it's not the, the greatest thing. But I think that Aaron Jones, again, he's just locked into the, the workload. Jamal Williams isn't there. A.J. Dillon is just really big question mark right now in terms of, okay, is he going to be involved in the passing game at all? Like, he really didn't see that much in college. But was that due to the fact that, you know, Boston College just didn't really pass the ball at all in general? Is that really because of that? Or is that because he can't do it? I would lean towards... I mean, I think it really has to just do with the offense they play. I mean, most running backs, you know, caught passes at some point in their career if your name is not Jordan Howard. Like, he was the only running back that physically could not catch passes. Um, And then, obviously, Ronald Jones kind of falls in that category as well. But I think that, you know, he only has, what, 846 touches on his resume, which you look at the 2017 running back class is the least. It's like less than Chris Carson, Kareem Hunt, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, and it's crazy because those guys have all like missed significant amount of games with serious injuries. Even Christian McCaffrey has already over a thousand touches, and he hasn't even basically he basically didn't even play that much last year. So I think Aaron Jones is definitely set up for at least one or two more seasons of you know RB one production, and you couldn't ask for a better spot with him and Aaron Rodgers. Right now, the only guys I think I would be actively wanting to draft over him are McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry. Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, and Austin Eckler. I think he's a top eight RB man because honestly, like Jamal Williams now being with the Lions is absolutely massive. Jamal Williams was always going to take hit the eight to 10 carries away from Aaron Jones. The bigger issue, particularly in fantasy land where we got to deal with, you know, a half or a full point per reception in a lot of these leagues was Jamal was taking just as much work as a receiver as pretty much Aaron Jones was getting. And Jones is fantastic in the passing game, particularly when they actually let him line up as a true receiver. Only Austin Eckler and Naeem Hines have averaged more yards for outrun than Jones when lined up in the slot or out wide since he entered the league in 2017. 
AJ Dillon might be able to catch the ball, but I know they don't trust him nearly as much as Jamal Williams because we saw just how long it takes, you know, the Packers to build up trust in a running back. We've been seeing that for the past four years. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers, yes, he was, he's throwing the ball downfield. He's not, you know, Charlie Checkdown or anything like that. But he's fed Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams a combined 98 targets last year. The previous year, they were up over 110. Like, if we can just now get 90% or so of this market share of targets from the backfield, all for Aaron Jones, I mean, he's all of a sudden going to have the reception total that we need. Okay, he's never going to get the 300, 350 total touches, but if he keeps, stays with his 200, 220 rushes and one of the best scoring offenses, and we get that enhancements in the target boom, man, he has a chance of being, again, just continued top five back because, you know, we've been screaming regression for years with him and with the scoring, you know, it did kind of come to fruition last year, but now finally we can get positive regression with him as a receiver, which would be even better. So love, love, love Aaron Jones. And Andrew, I mean, AJ Dillon, we were, we've been looking at the best ball drafts, man. He was going like round four, round five before this news broke. I'm concerned that he's not going to fall, fall far enough because he was already ranked this high and he's not even going to be a value. Do you have any interest in drafting AJ Dillon like at, you know, inside the top 30, 35 running backs? Well, Ian, I mean, if you saw the best ball draft last night. I drafted AJ Dillon <laughs> nah. in, in the eighth round. It was oh, a, <laughs> it was an auto pick, but again, that's going to happen to people in drafts. They're just going to auto pick AJ Dillon because he's going to be at the top of the board. So his ADP is going to be, it's a trickle down effect. Like it's going to take a little bit of time for the market to react fully to AJ Dillon, you know, no longer being the presumed starter in Green Bay. So again, his ADP is going to probably stay pretty high for the next month or so, like in relatively to where he was going before. But again, it's really, it's really just tough to figure out what his role is going to be. I'd imagine, do they try and use him at the goal line? Is that something that they would envision him doing as a, a bigger back, six foot, 240? 50 pounds or whatever he's at do they try to use him at the goal line again i'm not fascinated with the fact that, hey let's just use this huge guy and then you know run him into the back of the offensive lineman again it's not always the most optimal strategy but for some reason a lot of teams think that that works a lot even though aaron jones has been a really you know he's been a dynamite you know rushing at the goal line obviously because of all the touchdowns he's scored the last two seasons so it's really a question mark of how dylan's role will expand without jamal williams again you know they decided not to bring was the decision not to bring Jamal Williams back because they had confidence in A.J. Dillon to take a step forward? Or was it just, hey, no, we shelled all this money to to Aaron Jones. We kind of just have to hope that A.J. Dillon, you know, he hoped that he takes the next step. So that you're going to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just wild when we see one of these offenses. Saints are a little bit similar, but Packers, we're far more sure about them, again, being one of the higher scoring units. And yeah, Devontae's wide receiver one. Tunyon should be a tight end one, but, you know, once you move past Aaron Jones, there's going to be value somewhere. Look at MBS. You know, hey, maybe by the time this podcast is out, hopefully by the time this podcast is out, Curtis Samuel is wearing uh, is wearing green. But uh, we will see if that pipe dream comes to fruition or not. Sticking with uh, this backfield, although the departing member, Jamal Williams, signed with the Lions. Two years, $7.5 million contract. You know, obviously not a very big deal for Jamal. He is not being sent there to take over the backfield or anything like that. However, I mean, look, if you want someone that epitomizes is the idea of biting kneecaps that plays in running back position. Jamal Williams might just be that guy. I mean, this dude loves the game of football, loves contact. I would not be surprised if he is the type of guy where, you know, he can keep DeAndre Swift on the sideline for an annoying amount of time. So, you know, I'm not concerned necessarily about Swift 
still like I wouldn't really even move him down more than maybe a spot or two because you know hey it's Jamal Williams we kind of know who he is if they were to draft another running back in you know the top three rounds I think that'd be more concerning for sure but we also know who Jamal Williams is and he can do a little bit of everything Andrew what was your reaction uh with this Jamal Williams signing in regards to DeAndre Swift so the minute that I found out that Jamal Williams signed with Detroit Lions I logged in to my MFL accounts and I set out a bunch of dynasty trades for DeAndre Swift in hopes that I could get someone to budge because that's what you need to do you need to have to hope for a window of opportunity to buy a player like Swift because in dynasty especially you know these running backs in their prime are just impossible to get they you literally it doesn't matter what you trade first round picks it doesn't matter you you can't get them so I tried to take this as an opportunity mostly got rejected but hey we're still going back at it but I think that it was overall negative was the perception I'm not sure I totally agree with it again you know, looking at DeAndre Swift, he definitely profiles more in the light of a kind of like an Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler type. And that's where you look at the two, you know, guys that are going to be in charge of the offense this year, Anthony Lynn, Dan Campbell, coming from New Orleans with Alvin Kamara and coming from uh, the Chargers with Austin Eckler. And again, those guys were never, you know, 80% snap share guys. Like they were always playing, hovering between, you know, a you know, 60 to 70% snap share, even though 50 to 70% snap share. And that's really kind of the sweet spot. I think that we can probably expect Swift to be at, you know, 60% of the snaps, but still receiving a lot of touches. Again, is Jamal Williams going to beat him on the goal line? I don't imagine that they would just be like, Hey, we're just going to use Jamal Williams at the goal as the goal line back again. The touchdowns are going to be super important because the Lions are not going to have that many of them. So we really need to hope that DeAndre Swift does score whichever touchdowns the Lions actually end up finding themselves in territory to score. So that's a key thing as well. The pass game work, again, people are citing, all right, concern, you know, DeAndre Swift's a pass catcher, but so is Jamal Williams. Look, on Johnson, at this point, I don't even know if he's going to be active on game days if he doesn't get cut. Adrian Peterson's a free agent, so you don't know if he's going to be coming back. You look at their, those two guys, they combined for 31 catches in 2020. That was the same amount of catches that Jamal Williams had last year with the Packers. So I think that they just get rid of the three-back system they did last year, which was super annoying, where they were using carry-on Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift, strip it down to two guys, and I think that DeAndre Swift will be a pleasant surprise, especially if he starts to fall a little bit. If people get scared off by this and he falls at the end of the second round, even like third round, like I'm going to be scooping that all up. Yeah, I mean, I love the point about Anthony Lynn and Campbell and the guys that should be calling the plays. I'm confident Swift is going to have a solid 60-70% snap rate. That's all we can ask for, people. That's fine. And he is going to be getting the fantasy-friendly targets. I mean, the first guy of the entire offseason to get, you know, your annual just, hey, he's going to see more usage in the slot was DeAndre Swift. And okay, whether or not they actually do that remains to be seen. Either way, I, I am confident that it would treat him as a primary pass down back. And when we have Lynn, who has leaned on guys like Shady Austin Eckler. I mean, even Melvin Gordon had plenty of productive years uh, with the Chargers, both as a rusher and receiver. Uh, I think Swift is certainly still in that high-end RB2 range. The team sucks, though. I mean, look, if it's a tiebreaker, people, I'm going to take the other guy. We don't want Lions. We don't want Texans. Try to avoid these atrocious offenses. But Swift, again, has that fancy-friendly pass-catching role. He's the type of guy that we can, you know, swallow, take the laughs from your friends about drafting a Lion in the second round and uh, potentially deal with it. So, we are on the same page there. Uh, One that I I think threw off the fantasy community a little bit. Carlos Hyde signed a two-year, $6 million contract with the Jaguars. So we knew the Jaguars were going to add to the room. Urban Meyer told us that. And he also said that they like James Robinson. They still expect him to be the focal point. So from that perspective, adding someone like Carlos Hyde, who isn't going to catch passes, who you know isn't really a huge threat to taking over the whole situation or anything, it's not bad. On the other hand, 
I mean, can we trust Urban Meyer? Because Carlos Hyde scored, what was it, 35 touchdowns in 21 games for Meyer when he was calling plays back in 2012, 2013. So Hyde, man, he's someone that pisses us all off because he comes to, you know, a new team. He just takes away all these touches from, you know, the fancy back that we took several weeks ago before Hyde had to show up. But it's not like he's come out here and been, like, bad over the past few years. I mean, Seattle and Houston uh, in particular, like, he was a solid enough, like, runner. Okay, he's not catching passes. Passes. We're not playing him in fantasy, but he doesn't do enough to, you know, get outright benched or anything like that. So, Andrew, where do you stand on the Carlos Hyde uh, just signing? Am I overthinking it? Or is this something where, hey, maybe we should expect James Robinson to be more of a committee back in 2021? No, this one's tricky to kind of siphon through. You look at Hyde's PFF rushing grade over the past two seasons, 79.2. is actually better than James Robinson PFF rushing grade last year, which is 78.5. And again, like you said, again, the the motif or kind of the narrative around Carlos Hyde is he's a hipster version of Frank Gore, but he's actually a lot better. And he's still again, we have to remember Carlos Hyde was Frank Gore's backup at one point. So, you know, early on in Carlos Hyde's young years when he was just, a you know, a pup there in San Francisco. So. He learned the ropes from the wrong guy. <laughs> or I guess, you know, right guy, but you know. what? I mean. Yeah, exactly. So I, I can't just assume that. It's not going to be the same thing as it was last year. I just think that that's the thing you kind of have to forget. You know, James Robinson, 96% team running back rush share last year, first in the league, 84% opportunity per share last in, or first in the league. So the thing with that is we just need to realize, okay, I didn't move James Robinson at all in the rankings because I knew they're going to add a running back of consequence. And look, Carlos Hyde, you know, you can believe what you want if he's good or not, but he's clearly better than Raquel Armstead and Dario Nguwale and Divino Zigbo, who arguably shouldn't even be on an NFL roster. I mean, James Robinson had the starting job basically handed to him because there was no one else there to take it. Again, and it's not a credit, the discredit to him in any way. You know, he earned the job, but there were, you know, once Leonard Fournette got cut, it was like, all right, well, we literally don't have anyone else, and here you go. Like, you're the guy. So the competition is already going to be steeper. You know, entering this year again, they still have the NFL draft. They could potentially add a guy. I think it's really more concerning if they add like a Kenny Gainwell type of player, someone that can catch passes. I think that's a kind of a big deal because we could even see the running backs catch less passes in this offense next year if we really see Trevor Lawrence use more as a rusher. Again, we've seen Urban Meyer in the past really use his quarterbacks' mobility to their advantage. Especially rookie quarterbacks tend to run a little bit more just as they're getting used to the NFL game. So. Again, I just don't think you want to be over-invested in James Robinson. Okay, if he falls to a value, then I think, okay, you scoop him up. He's going to be starting running back on an up-and-coming offense. But the thing with people saying that, oh, the offense is going to be better, the offense is going to be better, yeah, but he also scored 10 touchdowns last year in 15 games. That's not bad at all. So he was already over, you know, he was already scoring touchdowns at, you know, a pretty decent rate last year. So to assume he's going to come out here and the offense is going to be that much better and now he's going to score 15 touchdowns, I just think that's a little aggressive in his projection. Yeah, he's just not someone I'm going to want to target in round two or three when there are far better wide receivers or tight ends I think we can more confidently project. Look, if I can get one of the first three picks of a fantasy draft and get McCaffrey, Dalvin, or probably Derrick Henry, like that's great, and then I'm taking wide receivers. If I can't, give me some wide receiver studs, and I'll kind of take whatever one of these running backs, you know, fourth or almost 20, just kind of follow the third round. Like, give me the value, because right now I think there's questions with all of them. Uh, Robinson, you know, hey, he has a ceiling. So do a lot of these guys. But he's got a scary floor, particularly with a lot of things you brought up. So, yeah, don't uh, you know, don't be discounting Carlos Hyde. But I do think uh, Robinson will uh, be able to beat out him when it comes down to it. Just hopefully we don't see, you know, a day one or day two running back add to the equation uh, come late April. That would be 
truly problematic for James RB1 son faithful out there. Uh, another low-key signing that some are freaking out about and some are not. Marlon Mack is returning to the Colts on a one-year deal. I was pretty confident that he'd be going uh, to the Eagles to link up uh, with his old uh, coach down there, but was not the case. He is back with Indy, and we just had some weird quotes, man. Like, look, some people are just... Full in on Jonathan Taylor. I get it. He's really good. He had a great end of the season. Why else did they draft in the second round? But man, GM Chris Ballard, right after he said the Colts likely wouldn't be able to get Marlon back unless it was on a cheaper deal, said, I just see a backfield with Marlon, Jonathan, and Naeem and Wilkins being really special. He said Marlon Mack's name before Jonathan freaking Taylor's name, Andrew. I'm a little bit worried here. This isn't this isn't Carlos Hyde. This is Marlon Mack, who had over 1,000 yards in two straight years in this offense. He started this year, looked damn good for about five touches, and he tore his Achilles. So, hey, there's reason to believe he won't be the same player. I get it, but Marlon Mack is 90% of what he was. I think this is going to be a three-back committee to some extent. You're probably not wrong, but the thing is, no one is going to listen to you because people yeah. are obsessed with Jonathan Taylor. Story Again, of my he's life. Already, he's already going as a top six running back, you know, top five running back right now, and I just people aren't going to change their minds. It's it's the take lock that people go into. It's like no Jonathan Taylor's the guy. Like no matter what, even though last time last year at times we saw you know other running backs, his name is escaping me. Oh, Jordan Wilkins basically work ahead of Jonathan Taylor during you know Taylor's you know, down period during the middle of the season. So, yeah, of course the Colts can, you know, use Marlon Mack. They brought him back. He, they didn't have to do that. So it's concerning for sure, especially because Marlon Mack is a decent talent. And, again, they didn't sign him to a ton of money. It could be a depth move, and Taylor is still, still should be viewed as the number one guy. But the situation is not nearly – I mean, Jonathan Taylor really just has to improve a lot then. That's really has to be the thing that happens because, again, I don't know if we're going to see – we don't see any, I mean, I think we just need to kind of get used to the fact that there aren't really any running backs that just are the guys, except, you know, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey, like those guys are just so exclusive to their tier that you need to get over the fact that no, Jonathan Taylor isn't going to be, you know, a 90% guy, you know, from the snaps. Like you need to kind of get over it, accept it before you build this up in your mind that he's going to be Christian McCaffrey. It's like, that's probably not going to happen. And look, I don't want to be, you know, Dr. Hindsight, look at the schedule guy, because I, I get annoyed when some people do that. But I guess I am going to be that guy for right now. Lost in Derrick Henry having, you know, just such a cake schedule on his way to 2,000 yards. I mean, really the same thing happened to Jonathan Taylor. The breakout started in week 11 against the Packers when he had 90 yards and he got on the COVID list. He comes back. I mean, this dude finished the season with the Texans twice, the Raiders, the Jaguars, and the Steelers, who held him to, you know, 4.1 yards per carry. Like, he was going going bonkers against some pretty, pretty bad run defense. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Raiders defensive coordinator literally got fired the next game uh, after. And I mean, you know, Jacksonville. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Taylor faced two, if not three, you know, teams that their defensive coordinator was pretty much canned within a week of him being done with that defense. So, yeah, man. I think Taylor is for sure the best running back here, but if you had to ask me, is he going to finish with closer to 300 touches or 250? I'd say 250, and that's fine. He can do a lot with that. This offense is, you know, depending on how Wentz, even if Wentz isn't good, the offensive line is good enough to think that their number one running back is going to be a fantasy RB1, but the fact that right now he's going as almost, like you were saying, ahead of all these other guys in that legit RB4, RB5 range, no. I mean, Naeem Hines was already going to take the pass down work. I know Taylor isn't, you know, in 
capable of being a pass down back, but Hines is their pass down back. And now they don't have, you know, Phillip Rivers, who notoriously threw to his running backs and tight ends more than just about anyone. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, hidden uncertainty here. And Marlon Mack leaving uh, would have been great because then we would have had the same crew back, Taylor, Hines, and Wilkins. And we have a good feel for that. Mack is a legit wild card. Keep an eye on that health, everybody. Look, we... We want Taylor to be free just like you, but, uh, you know, trying to read the tea leaves here, not looking great in that indie murky backfield. Last, yeah. before we get into the next... No, hold on. We'll wait for that. The tight end news. Yes. Let's just wait until we get to a uh, wide receiver, but yes, good call. We have had some news break. We're going to make you wait, though. Uh, last thing, Andrew, uh, before we get to that. So quickly, Devontae Booker signed with the Giants. Am I galaxy brain this, or could he actually be a handcuff we should be looking at, you know, past round 15, round 16? Because Saquon, who knows how healthy he is. We know Jason Garrett likes to lean on his number one uh, RB when it, whenever he's able to. Last year with Deion Lewis, Devontae Freeman, Wayne Gallman, kind of a murky situation. I feel like Booker, even if he's average and everything, can do everything well enough to actually be the guy if Saquon goes down. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I also think that we have a – poor track record of trying to project which handcuff tight end or which handcuff running backs are actually going to be relevant because we have to project okay well which starting running back is going to get hurt so again it's easy to point at Barkley because he got hurt last year okay well now I'm going to draft the Barkley handcuff but last year nobody was drafting Mike Davis because no one thought Chris McCaffrey was getting hurt so again you don't want to overinvest in these things again so if you're Playing in a league where you want to handcuff your own running backs and you draft Saquon Barkley, then yeah, okay, I think it makes a lot of sense to get go get Devontae Booker. If you're in a dynasty league, you have Barkley, okay, go send a third-round pick to get Devontae Booker. I think that makes a lot of sense. But in terms of trying to guess, it's like, I think you just want to take handcuffs that other people aren't taking at all and just hope that, hey, you know, no one, I mean, if no one's drafting Booker, then okay, I think that makes a lot of sense to go after him because right now it's like Mike Davis, nobody drafted in best ball last year because we no one thought McCaffrey would get hurt, and then, you know, he did. And now people are drafting Mike Davis because – Okay, when Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, we know that he could be, you know, a decent fantasy asset. So, again, we don't know if that's going to happen again, if he's going to get hurt. So, I'm just a little hesitant about, you know, going all in on some of these these backups. Very fair. And, yeah, by all in, I mean consider him with your last pick in best ball <laughs> drafts, the Devontae Booker special. Uh, quick shot before we move on to wide receivers. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge in subscription. That's promo code PFF. Just $10, people. What a bargain. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Yeah, make sure you uh, stay tuned to uh, my Twitter at iHeartIt's and Andrew at Andrew Erickson underscore. Uh, we've been doing about two or three best ball drafts per week with PFF's own Kevin Cole and also Jared Evans uh, over the past two weeks and we'll continue to do so. So come hang out, ask questions, see us have some sheesh and some drinks. Uh, it's been a fun time. Andrew, let's uh, go ahead and knock out the uh, breaking news that you so rudely tried to interrupt me with a couple minutes ago. Uh, Gerald, <laughs> Gerald Everett has signed a one-year, I believe, $6 million deal with the Seattle Seahawks. So I have said a few times this podcast that if, I believe if you give Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson a legit tight end that can be the starter and be the main guy, they're catching 10 touchdowns. Andrew, I think Gerald Everett, if he is outside the top 10, top 12 ADP guys, I want him in every draft. Am I a prisoner of the moment or are you also really excited about this? Ian, I know that you stacked 
you know, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Gerald Everett in our last best ball draft. So you are absolutely. I'm a genius. Let's go. I forgot about that. (laughs) Woo. Exactly, dude. That's the thing. I think it makes too much sense. Gerald Everett was again, literally a guy you could get with your last pick. He's an above average athletic tight end. Again, we've seen Russell Wilson have a lot of success with some of these tight ends. Jimmy Graham at one point caught double digit touchdowns. You know, Will Disley at one point had like the highest passer rating when targeted because again, he's attached to an efficient quarterback. So Right. If the targets aren't there all the time, then at least we need efficient passes. And you could argue, okay, as the number three target on an offense, I think you're going to at least see Gerald ever put up efficient numbers. And he's athletic, so I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, this dude was getting legit Jordan Reed comps. He just really wasn't able to play a lot because Tyler Higby was there. But as we saw, even after Tyler Higby just went bonkers at the end of 2019, once Everett was healthy enough, he was good enough to really just make life tough enough on Higby to make it a, a continued committee. So, yeah, man, this is exciting. Now, Disley is still there. I think Hollister's like a restricted free agent, so he could come back. So I'm not sure if Everett will necessarily pull away. Again, one year, six million. That's not, you know, John o. Smith or Hunter henry uh, money where we can really assume they're going to be a huge part of the passing attack but again you know he is really athletic he's not a he's not like this a receiver playing tight end like he can block we've seen some you know chip blocks over the year of him putting dudes down like he can be he's got a little nasty in him as well but yeah rising fifth year veteran first full-time starting job of his career the history of high-priced tight ends going to new teams and free agency is awful this is not high price and assuming russell wilson is still his quarterback i am all in on gerald everett in 2021 exciting stuff Stuff. Andrew, we're gonna move on now to wide receiver. Well, well actually, oh, yeah. just one thing more thoughts on so Higby now. So Higby now looks like the number one tight end for the Rams. I know how I feel on, but what are your thoughts on on Higby? Uh, yeah, man. So Higby, we did not like last year because after no. the first. <laughs> Yeah, after the first, uh, I think it was like after, you know, after Waller, it was like, okay, if we can't get Waller at tight end three or tight end four, like we're done. We're going, we're waiting until, you know, tight end 12 or 13. I understand people that the Chris Herndons of the world did not work out, but it's all about the value. And Tyler Higby, where he's going right now outside the top 15 tight ends, that's great. Now we have more opportunity coming for a guy that we know can put up big numbers. He got a quarterback upgrade. I mean, this is fantastic for Tyler Higby. And we haven't even seen the Rams add a higher MY receiver like we thought that they could throughout this cycle so Higby right now is looking like the number three pass game option on a improving Rams offense that should be putting up plenty of points and with all that opportunity man he could be a legit 90 percent plus snap tight end for them so we'll see I mean they got the uh uh, they got that like fullback slash H H Johnny something I think uh, they got another guy Johnny Munt I think his name is but they got some other guys that might uh, take a few snaps but now Higby and Gerald Everett man both of them same thing you know okay Russell Wilson's better than Stafford I'm not I'm not, not trying to say that but you know very good quarterback one's better than the other but clear cut starter seemingly priced as lower end tight end twos I think they're both great upside picks I I, I want them both man. So the only thing, the only hesitance that I have with Tyler Higby is the fact that they use him to block a lot. Like he actually leads all tight ends in terms of blocking snaps last year. And that's my one major concern because this is the trap I fell into with Jonas Smith. I, I felt like I love the efficiency metrics that he was putting up with the tight ends. And I thought, okay, he's in a full-time role. Uh, Delaney Walker's out the door. I'm going to go with Jonas Smith. And then again, it didn't matter because he ended up blocking more than he was running routes. And that got super frustrating. And one guy I looked, I kind of dove into, I wrote about this in my, my dynasty to-do list before free agency. I actually talked about, you know, trading for Gerald Everett, 
put Tyler Higbee on the block and add Bryson Hopkins. So Bryson Hopkins was a guy that they had drafted last year, I believe in the mid rounds, and he really profiles as a true pass catching tight end. He's actually really, really fast. So he's a guy that they could potentially use as a more of a move tight end, kind of use him downfield because they don't really have a downfield threat. Again, Van Jefferson can kind of fill that role, but I don't know. Bryson Hopkins is an interesting name, especially if you're in a dynasty league, someone that you can add because now at least he has an opportunity. Okay, he can at least elevate to the tight end two role. So that's my only concern with Higby. Again, the one good thing about Higby is the price is never going to reach the same that it was last year. At least I hope it doesn't, you know, reach those types of level where you actually have to take him within the top the first 10 rounds. I don't think it'll get to that level. So there's less risk, you know, associated with Tyler Higby. But just something to keep in mind, like these blocking tight ends can be really tricky because it's almost like we need our because this is what happened with Herndon too. You know, Herndon led all tight ends in pass blocking oh, snaps. Oh, I know, Andrew. I know. <laughs> so so and, and that's something that has nothing to do with how good they are receiving. It's it's totally based on the coach's usage of the player, and that's something that you know we try to project the best we can, and that's kind of just something that I know us about Higby. You gotta pick one, Everett or Higby, clocks running down. Five, oh, four, Everett. Everett. Everett for me. Yeah. I like it. Team Everett, let's go. Heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> Wide receiver, Andrew, the big I guess, you know, biggest confirmed news of the day is A.J. Green's corpse will be making its way to the Arizona Cardinals. Look, people, A.J. Green was horrendous last year. And, I mean, I'm not even trying to be a dick about it. It's just facts. I mean, there were 84 wide receivers with at least 50 targets, 63rd in PFF receiving grade, 79th in yards per outrun, 62nd in yards per reception, dead last in yards after the catch per reception. And I've seen a lot of people point out that, hey, his catchable ball rate is not good. You guys at PFF track this stuff. Look, he just didn't have catchable opportunities. Like, he couldn't separate people. That was why he didn't have catchable opportunities. There wasn't anyone to throw to. Like, okay, if it was a thing where A.J. Green and everybody else on the Bengals offense were struggling, that'd be one thing. He was the worst wide receiver on the Bengals. Like, Erickson, Auden Tate. Like, man, Alex Erickson talking to Andrew Erickson. That's a freaking plot twist from my brain right there. Auden Tate, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. Like, all these guys in the same opportunity as A.J. Green were more open. They were more efficient. Like, I'm, I'm going to put that on A.J. Green, not Joe Burrow. And looking even deeper into some of these uh, deeper uh, deep ball targets, look, only three of Green's 24 targets were caught last year. So what did was Burrow holding him back? Again, I don't think so. He was only considered open or wide open on one of those targets. That rate is 64th among 70 dudes. Uh, trying to get wide open downfield. So, yes, Kyler Murray is a better deep ball passer than Joe Burrow. He has a stronger arm. But I don't think that's going to really help, man, because I just think this version of A.J. Green is about as dusty as they come. And, you know, I do not want to bet in fantasy land on freaking 30-plus-year-old receivers changing teams after they just look terrible. Like, I feel like Green's going to be overdrafted because he's A.J. freaking Green. And I just want nothing to do with that. So, you know, A.J., it's... It's a shame since he couldn't do more with him, a true Hall of Fame talent, and I think his best years are behind him. I'm not sure if he did enough to kind of, you know, get that gold jacket one day. But, yeah, no, I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid on him going to Arizona to maybe be Kyler's number two receiver. I'm not going to do it, Andrew. I don't want you to either. I, I, I agree with you, Ian. I don't see what the what the point is. Like, where is the upside in going after A.J. Green, hoping for a bounce back? And, okay, Let's say he does bounce back and he plays well. What does that actually mean? Does that mean, oh, he's a wide receiver three? Okay, sick. Well, I just took you know a bunch of these other young guys that I thought I had more confidence in going into the year. So I just don't see why people are kind of coming out trying to you know defend A.J. Green, being like, oh, well, 
you know, he, he, there wasn't any accurate throws. It's like, okay, well, what about T. Higgins? I mean, he had a spectacular rookie year, despite the fact that he was seeing similar targets to from Joe Burrow that A.J. Green was seeing. And A.J. Green was actually probably halting T. Higgins from producing more targets. And eventually, Joe Burrow got fed up. was like, all right, well, I'm not throwing it to A.J. Green anymore because this clearly isn't working. I'm going to throw it to T. Higgins, throw it to Tyler Boyd, guys that are actually being productive with their targets. So, again, yes, the guy has fallen off and betting on receivers at an older age that had injuries in the past coming off poor production it's like where's where's the upside and yeah i just want to be really clear like it wasn't a bad season for aj green because that can still be a really good season this was an atrocious season for any wide receiver that calls himself a professional he didn't have a catch or a yard man in five separate games and he also had one game where he had one catch for three yards like just absolutely couldn't do anything last year again in an offense where other guys were doing things so completely out on AJ Green we are going to be ageist on this podcast throughout this offseason he is on uh, my ageist list that we will get back to a little bit later Andrew another elderly wide receiver we got elderly wide receivers moving everywhere Emmanuel Sanders to the Bills um, you know, Gabriel Davis was someone we hyped up on this podcast uh, earlier this week. It's unfortunate how this has gone. So I think Gabriel Davis is, you know, could certainly still outproduce Emmanuel Sanders. The problem is, you know, Stefan Diggs, he's the clear cut number one. We knew that before they signed Sanders, it seemed like the rest of the yards, the wide receivers were mostly going to go through Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis with a little bit of Isaiah McKenzie. Like Emmanuel Sanders is going to pretty much take John Brown's role and rotate with Gabriel Davis out as that other outside receiver. Now the Bills use four wide receivers or more uh, in the offense, more than anybody other than the Cardinals last year. So they'll both be on the field a lot. But with that segment, like it just doesn't help because we thought the offense was set. We thought our three wide receiver sets were Diggs, Beasley, and Gabriel Davis. This isn't like a running back situation where we knew they were going to add another wide receiver. We didn't necessarily know that. And Emmanuel Sanders, while he's old, he's still very good. And he has adjusted seamlessly to several new situations over the past years with the 49ers, with the Saints, and now with the Bills. It's concerning, man. Gabe Davis goes from someone that I was actively wanting to target, you know, kind of in the, you know, just right when the late round started to go there, where now I'm starting to be hesitant a little bit, looking elsewhere. Are you super excited to draft any of these complimentary Bills receivers now? I think I'm still in on Gabriel Davis. Just looking at the way that the teams have used Emmanuel Sanders recently, you know, since the 2016 season, you know, Emmanuel Sanders hasn't seen a dot higher than 13 yards. So Davis last year was basically used all down the field, 17.3 average depth of target, which is the seventh highest in the NFL. So I'm not so sure they're going to be necessarily competing for the same types of targets. If, if Gabriel Davis is really going downfield and used more in the red zone, in the end zone, those are the targets we want. Like, I don't care if Emmanuel Sanders is kind of used underneath and taking these shorter routes closer to the line of scrimmage. That's fine. If Davis is the guy that's still getting the deep targets and targets in the end zone, then that's what I want to target for fantasy, especially because, again, you know, he's not an outrageously priced player. It's not like you need to spend up a lot for him. Again, he's a a second-year player that had a decent rookie year that obviously has some hype behind him, but there is competition. And I was thinking about it, too. So I look back at Sanders' most productive season in the last four years was in 2018, and he actually played a 65% snap share in the slot that season so he's played on the outside more often than the last two teams but he's again he's been kind of moving around he was on Denver and then he was on the 49ers then he was on the Saints so he hasn't really settled into a place where okay maybe he is best from the slot and maybe it's actually him splitting time with Cole Beasley who's now going to be turning 32 years old I know say we were going to be ageist on this podcast so of course I'm bringing the heat (laughs) 
So I think that we could actually see Sanders really rotate more in with Beasley from the slot and leave Gabriel Davis on the outside. I don't know. I just think that when you look at the Bills are going to look at their receiver and be like, all right, who gives us the most upside and chance to win? Again, you mentioned Sanders really hasn't, his production really hasn't fallen off. And again, he's ranked really high in terms of, you know, average yards per route run, which I think would surprise people how productive he has still been, you know, even at an older age. But I'm just not sold that, especially the the money they gave him, they didn't give him a ton of money. So I don't even know if that he's even going to be on the roster necessarily by the time things kind of pan out here. So I'm not really too worried about Emmanuel Sanders getting added here. You know what? I don't care about anyone, any other receiver in the league right now than just one. That's because my guy, Curtis Samuel, signed a three-year, <laughs> $34.5 million deal with the Washington football team. And I don't hate it. I kind of love it. First of all, for Washington – a plus. Any any team that got Curtis Samuel, I was gonna give them an A plus. It's fantastic. The guy is a number two. If he's your number three receiver, you arguably have the best number three receiver in the league. I didn't go through all thirty-two teams before I said that, so please don't take that one quote, PFF Media, and put that on a graphic because I might look silly. But truly, number two, number three receiver, anyone's idea high end there. He can be a legit RB two. I posted a freaking minute clip today of him lining up in the backfield, doing good things between the tackles. It's something he did at Ohio State. He did in high school the guy can be a legit backup running back and he's so versatile and to put him now in an offense with a coach that actually recognizes that Scott Turner who used him with the Panthers and when he took over if you actually notice in the, in the later uh, 2019 season once uh, Scott Turner took over at the end of the year they actually started using Curtis as a true running back more than they had all throughout the year so you know Antonio Gibson JD McKissick this is an offense that already has some versatile, versatile guys like that I'm incredibly confident that we're now going to see you know all those annoying slot screens and all this you know, forced usage of J.D. McKissick now going to a real baller named Curtis Samuel. So I think this is great. We got Ryan Fitzpatrick there who, hey, the issue with projecting Curtis to this offense as recently as two days ago was like, okay, is it going to be Taylor Heineke? Like who the hell's going to be throwing the guy the ball? Again, now we got Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, freaking 30 minutes ago, Andrew, we were talking about this offense. <laughs> I literally said there's going to be someone else. Maybe not Logan Thomas because it might add another wide receiver. That other wide receiver is Curtis Samuel. I don't think it hurts Terry McLaurin at all. I think it helps Terry McLaurin to have someone else in this offense that can help take away some attention of defense. I'm still going to have Terry McLaurin as a wide receiver one in the top 12. I think Curtis Samuel, you know, you can't have him lower than 30. I think he's going to be approaching that uh, wide receiver two borderline in a hurry. And if he's not already there. I think you hit the nail on the head, Ian. Curtis Samuel to the Washington football team. They needed another receiver. Please get off of Cam Sims, Steven Sims, whatever. J.D. McKissick, we've seen enough of him. Curtis Samuel will operate, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage, I think, and be more of a, that gadgety player, but also at the same time operate as a, a true wide receiver on the outside opposite of Terry McLaurin. Do you think that he'll take up the slot? Do you think, because that's where he was playing a lot in Carolina last year. I mean, his roles have, he's been so versatile basically throughout his NFL career. Again, we saw him two years ago, he was all like all air yards. And then this year he was a little bit, used a little bit more closer to the line of scrimmage, playing snaps at running back. Do you have a, a take on kind of where we'd see Curtis Samuel probably fit in most again, kind of, you know, getting your initial take here, but what are your initial thoughts on kind of what his exact role will be? Move them all over the place, man. I'd love to see them actually, I mean, you need three good wide receivers in today's NFL. So they're going to have to do something because they're losing Cam Sims. So maybe it's, you know, Steven Sims coming back or something like that. I mean, I think he's okay enough to potentially do it. But be like the Chiefs, man. Just move these guys all over the field. Because I think McLaurin's, you know, perfectly capable of winning inside and outside as well. So the only thing that I think some people have gotten tripped up with with Curtis Samuel is this idea that 
he might be someone that's restricted to the slot because that's what he did in 2020 when he had his quote-unquote breakout year. His breakout year should have been in 2019. Now, okay, the one nightmare scenario here, Andrew, is Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, has some bad games. He, you know, turns more into bad version. And we get Curtis Samuel catching balls from Kyle Allen again. That's the one nightmare that I'm, you know, putting together right now. So we do not want that to happen because (laughs) truly, people, Curtis Samuel would have gone bonkers in 2019 if Kyle Allen was just even moderately able to resemble an NFL quarterback for a prolonged stretch. So I think Curtis, they can line him up anywhere over the formation. Ideally, you know, he's out there in every two wide receiver set. When they want to go three, four wide, they can move him inside, move him in the backfield. Hell, man, go five wide and just know you have Curtis as that chess piece that can, you know, come right back in the backfield. I know Gibson and McKissick are capable of doing that themselves, but a lot of weapons and uh, with Scott Turner in this offense, man, and with Fitzpatrick under center, I'm cautiously optimistic they'll have a decent plan of doing it. So, hey man, with this deal, like they did not sign Curtis Samuel to be a freaking gadget guy at, you know, over $11 million per year. He is there to be a significant part of the offense and I think we need to be locking him in sooner rather than later. You know, I haven't gone through every roster just yet, but as, you know, a borderline wide receiver too. And Fantasyland, Great stuff there, Andrew. I'm sure we'll have more thoughts on Curtis here once this uh, podcast concludes over on PFF.com. we got some guys working on it already. Uh, continuing on with the wide receivers, though. Marvin Jones went to the Jaguars. I'm not too excited about it. I'm surprised to see the amount of like backlash I've gotten from saying I'm not really in on Marvin Jones with the Jaguars next year. Like, look, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, that's going to be an upgrade for sure. But, I mean... Jones coming in at a two-year, $14.5 million contract, like, that's not big money. I mean, DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault, I think, deserve to continue to be treated as the top two uh, projected options in this passing game. Jones, he's caught nine touchdowns three of the past four years. He's still fine at contested catch situations, but doesn't exactly strike me as a receiver. We should expect to continue to age all that well. And just based on the eye test last year, man, I don't think he's operating anything near uh, the 100%, you know, dope fuel stretcher we saw, you know, as recently as 2017, 2018. Like, do you want anything to do with Marvin Jones? No. Again, he kind of falls into that older receiver category. And look, one of these older receivers is probably going to hit. And we're going to look stupid for fading that particular one. But again, we're just looking at the whole, you know, process of the analysis is that you just don't go after these older receivers. And more likely than not, you're going to be safe. Again, last year, it was basically only two guys that were productive, you know, over the age 30. One was Marvin Jones. The other one was Adam Thielen. And besides that, and Julio Jones. So those were the main three guys that were really only... And even Marvin Jones was pretty inconsistent at times. So it really was Thielen and Julio Jones when he was healthy. So not a lot of guys at age 30 just really produce. And it's a really young man's game. And you have him now entering an offense with DJ Chark where there's some overlap in terms of skill as a deep threat. Again, the Jacksonville Jaguars also added, you know, low-key Philip Dorsett. And I'm not saying that, okay, Philip Dorsett's uh, going to cause a bunch of issues. But again, he's another deep threat receiver. Like, that's what his role is on the offense. That's what he's used as. He's not used at the intermediate level. So I think that it might be interesting to see if they try to move Chark more inside. I noticed that the last two seasons, he's actually played the most in the slot under Daryl Bevel, who is now his new offensive coordinator with Jacksonville so he has some familiarity with the system and just look at the numbers the last two seasons you know from a just PFF grading efficiency metrics across the board Marvin Jones and DJ Chark are almost like identical across the board like PFF grade is the same average depth of targets the same yards per route runs the same like super identical just Marvin Jones has a slight uptick in terms of just touchdowns and the only difference I could really find in their profiles overall was Marvin Jones again plays a little bit more in the slot and is used a little bit more at the intermediate level so 
I think that Marvin Jones, being that he's getting older, might actually see a larger role playing in the slot in 2021 and also just kind of see more targets closer to the line of scrimmage, intermediate level, 10 to 19 yards downfield as opposed to Chark, which I think will kind of stay in that deep threat role. Yeah, look, it's an offense that is promising. Just don't overreact and be expecting someone like Marvin Jones to be going off. And this brings me to my ages list. Andrew, I tweeted this out today. So far, I, I think so good. I've had, a, you know, again, the, most of the backlash was on Marvin Jones for being on this list. But I have written down notable players that I do not want to touch pretty much wherever because they are very old in football years. Now, someone was like, well, Travis Kelsey is almost as old as Gronk. I, we watched Travis Kelsey last year. He looks like he's freaking 20. The dude's playing fantastic. I'm talking about guys that we have seen with our own two eyes, visibly slow down. Their efficiency is going down. There's a good chance that we have seen the best football of their career already. And these players are A.J. Green, Larry Fitzgerald, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, Julian Edelman, Marvin Jones, David Johnson, Mark Ingram, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, Zach Ertz, and Rob Gronkowski. Andrew, do you disagree with any of those? So the only one, and I think I've, I've voiced this before on a, either a different podcast or one of our best ball drafts, was Zach Ertz at just the age yeah. of 30. That's really the only one that if I basically, if you're like telling me, Andrew, you need to put your faith in one of these guys to have a semi-decent fantasy season, like who are you going to put your, your money on? And I would go with, with Zach Ertz to potentially have a, a bounce back. That's the only guy, again, he's only 30, so he's really on the the – the edge of the age apex for tight ends. And that's the thing, like tight ends, you know, you mentioned it before, uh, Travis Kelsey is the same age as Gronk and they're in totally different stages of their career. But a lot of tight ends do continue to produce much older into their careers. And again, Zach Ertz has never really been a guy where he's been this super athletic tight end where he's been able to break tackles. Again, the Twitter account is Zach Ertz. Did he break a tackle? No, he didn't. Or did he have yards after the catch? No, he didn't. But he's a possession tight end, and if he ends up on an offense where they have to throw the ball a lot, he can definitely be a safety blanket for a quarterback. Again, nobody was producing fantasy points on that Eagles offense last year. You know, everyone was super frustrating to own. So just out of that entire situation, I think will help. Again, the guy was like the tight end four last year, and now he's the tight end 17. Like, that's a massive drop-off for a guy who just had really one bad season. So I'm willing to go back to Zach Ertz. Again, he's absolutely he's free right now. He's going to get traded to a different team. And if it's a decent landing spot, I'll, I'll probably be back in and taking him later in drafts. It's just how bad he was. Again, if, if it was just a bad year for him, that would have been one thing. But 4.7 yards per target, 50% catch rate. I mean, he didn't look like the same player. And Ertz had some fantastic years in his career. But, you know, as a guy that's never exactly been out there, you know, as a someone that an offense is trusting to block, now we're putting him in a new offense. Hey, if he lands with Deshaun Watson, we already saw Everett, you know, take the Russell Wilson spot. Like, there are a few offenses where, okay, maybe I'll, I'll kick Ertz off this list. But for now, he's on it. I'm not feeling good. I'm going to be ages to those guys and Zach Ertz. Andrew, one guy we did not have news on just yet in terms of an official signing, but we're starting to get some murmurs, is Kenny Galladay. Apparently, he and the Giants are going to be taking a visit together. How cute. But the Bengals have apparently already made an offer. Now, the offer reportedly was like a one-year kind of like prove-it type deal, which is pretty oh, rich, which is pretty rich coming from the Cincinnati Bengals of, <laughs> of all teams. Like, hopefully your quarterback's ready to go in week one. You're really trying to play hardball with Kenny freaking Galladay. So... Doesn't seem like the Bengals are particularly imminent, but they want to be in the finals. Between, Do you have a preference between the Bengals and Giants? And I guess what's kind of your general outlook on Galladay moving forward? 
I think the Giants just make so much more sense. It doesn't prevent any type of T. Higgins hindrance on a second-year breakout for him, so it allows him to kind of grow into that alpha-wide receiver role. Tyler Boyd can still have a role on the Bengals. Again, it inhibits Joe Burrow, but again, we have other concerns with Joe Burrow just from him coming back from his injury, so that's kind of a, a conversation for another day. But I just think that the fit with New York makes too much sense. They clearly, they're screaming for an alpha-wide receiver. Again, they have all these complimentary pieces. They have a Sterling Shepard, who's just like a really solid number two receiver but he's not a difference maker like he's not going to go out and win you games it's just not his that's not his game he's just a really solid receiver and then you have some speed on the outside you got John Ross you got Darius Slayton but again those guys are not alpha wide receivers in any way shape or form Kenny Galladay gives Daniel Jones that opportunity to take the next step Daniel Jones as famously had PFF's highest passer rating or third highest passer rating had the highest quarterback rating on uh, passing attempts 20 yards downfield last season you know he's not afraid to sling it like we saw in his rookie year he's not afraid to throw the ball downfield and sling it and that's what Kenny Galladay needs like Kenny Galladay I would have been fading so hard if he had stayed with the Lions and Jared Goff who just doesn't throw the ball into tight windows Daniel Jones you know say what you want about him but he does chuck the ball and he is aggressive with the ball in his hands again it's been part of the problem because he turns the ball over a ton, but hopefully adding a receiver like Galladay will hopefully turn some of those would-be interceptions into highlight reel catches. Nobody has a higher PFF receiving grade than Galladay on contested targets since he entered the league. Uh, he joins Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, and Stefan Diggs as the only wide receivers to catch at least 60% of their contested targets. It's always fun to, you know, say this, you know, wide receiver X is so good at contested catches. He can turn a 50-50 ball into a 90-10 proposition. Okay, no one actually does that, but Galladay truly mathematically can turn a 50-50 ball into a 60-40 ball. So, hope, yeah, hopefully Daniel Jones. I think Burrow will be fine too, man, because Burrow, you know, is used to just put, you know, his ball placements is absolutely spectacular. And we've seen that, you know, going back to LSU. So Burrow or Jones, I think, are two quarterbacks that could make this work. Uh, I'm with you. I'd rather see T. Higgins, you know, have some of those targets on his own. I think Galladay, you know, pretty clearly could push uh, Slayton and maybe even Sewing Shepard to the back of the line. But on the other hand, then we got to worry about, you know, what what's what's the clapper Jason Garrett going to be doing to this offense. So I don't know, man. It's, uh you know, why is it between the Bengals and the Giants? Why was it between Muhammad and McLovin? Like, we just got these questions <laughs> out there. I know it's, you know, ultimately about money. So hopefully, uh, Kenny, do not take that low ball offer. Hopefully, the Giants are willing to pay him uh, the amount of money that a player of his talents deserve. One guy that did uh, manage to get a nice little deal for himself on the first day of free agency, Corey Davis, who uh, has taken his talents over to the New York Jets. Trying to pull up, there is three years, $37.5 million. Good for Corey, making just a little bit more than what Curtis Samuel was able to get. I don't hate it, man. And it's one of these situations where I feel like the move is both so Jets and so Corey Davis. Like, it's just kind of this, you know, we didn't really want him to go off to be a number one somewhere, but he he is looking that way again, depending on what Denzel Mims uh, kind of shakes out as in year two. And while we saw, you know, Davis play really well in 2020, that was with, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league and A.J. Brown taking a lot of attention away from him. So from a target volume perspective in fantasy land, you could argue this is one of the best case out comes for Davis. I'm just a little hesitant in assuming anything's going to come out of the Jets after I was so badly hurt in the Chris Herndon, the infamous Chris Herndon debacle of 20, of 2020, but we won't talk about that anymore. Andrew, what's your initial thoughts on Corey Davis? I'm treating him as a wide receiver three, kind of, you know, probably over wide receiver 30, under wide receiver 36 range. I just didn't want Corey Davis to be a number one receiver on a team. I just yeah. don't think that that's his strong suit. Again, we saw him flash this past season because we saw aj brown you know 
be an alpha wide receiver on their side. And I don't think that's a coincidence that Corey Davis flourished in the season where AJ Brown was again at the top of his game. And I just don't think that with the New York Jets, again, we have question marks at the quarterback position. Now, again, I say all this, if, if they get Sean Watson, then throw it out the window, whatever, Corey Davis is going to skyrocket up the rankings. I just don't care because if Sean Watson's attached to him, again, the guy's got a, a definitely a chance to be a really great fantasy contributor. So Sean Watson withstanding, if he ends up there, then I'll change my mind. But for right now, I, I just think that there's not as much upside attached to his profile. Again, we assume that Zach Wilson is going to be the guy there. That's who most mock drafts have going to the Jets as their quarterback. So that's one thing you have to take into consideration as well. But I don't know. I just am hesitant to buy into him. I think I'd rather just take a dart throw on Denzel Mims later in drafts. Again, Denzel Mims really profiles more as like an alpha wide receiver than Corey Davis does. It's just Corey Davis hasn't really been that guy so far in his career. And I do know I've also heard a lot of reports that Jamison Crowder may or may not be released to save salary cap space. I know that like a report came out about that a month ago. So that's just something to kind of keep in mind as well when you were looking at this Jets receiving core. But for me, I'll probably end up taking other guys rather than Corey Davis. Yeah, two things that are true with any wide receiver. Better in best ball and better if Deshaun Watson is their QB. <laughs> we will uh, adjust accordingly if and when that comes to fruition. Uh, John Brown went to the Raiders on a nice uh, one-year contract. He will be replacing, seemingly replacing, Nelson Aguilar in three wide receiver sets. So... I said when Aguilar left, and we're going to talk about the Patriots here in a second. I said when Aguilar left, Henry Ruggs was the big winner. And I could not believe how many Brian Edwards stands that are still out there on the old Twitter web. Like, look, I can use a good prospect, but to see the way they just, you know, really ignored Ruggs in that offense last year. And now they're bringing in, you know, John Brown, who is, I think, deserves to be, you know, in plenty of three wide receiver sets around the league, particularly when he's able to be healthy. I mean, it's certainly not good news for Brian Edwards. This is what we had last year with Nelson Aguilar. None of us took Aguilar seriously enough, and we saw what happened. And now we all, now we might have, you know, even a more like proven version of Aguilar back in the offense. Andrew, this offensive line is now a disaster. I think we're fine with that with Darren Waller because he's going to be, you know, possibly somehow getting more targets than before because Carr's going to be under more pressure. But slowly but surely, man, I just don't want anything to do with this Raiders offense because I think with the all the offensive line issues, truly people, they are trading away or cutting almost their entire offensive line. I have no idea why. All those issues, and now all of a sudden a more crowded receiving room. I want Darren Waller, and that's it, man. The Raiders plan right now with John Gruden is one that's going to be talked about for a while because it really hasn't amounted to anything what we're in year four now and it seems like they really haven't taken a step forward or a step back it just seems like they're kind of making the same mistakes over and over again they're not really making the right investments in certain positions Derek Carr has kind of just been steady you know he's been there and that's the thing like Derek Carr hasn't been bad I honestly, I almost want to make the argument that the team is kind of like letting him down around him, and maybe Derek Carr should start demanding, "Hey, get me out of, get me out of Las Vegas." I, want I to, love it. I want to, I want to go to the Jets. I want to go to the Dolphins. Like, come on, like I want to, I want someone to build an offense around me. And right now, it's like Derek Carr. What's going to happen to his deep ball? With you know, if he has less time to throw in the pocket, with some of these other offensive line problems. Look, Henry Ruggs is someone that I am probably not going to be in on. I'm, I'm trying, I'm telling people to move off of him in Dynasty. Just everything that he showed his first year just is are indications to me that he's just not someone that's necessarily going to turn it around. Again, the situation was pretty good last year. Like, he had the opportunity to be the guy there. I mean, 
like you just said, Aguilar. Like, nobody thought Aguilar was going to do anything, and he did. And then Aguilar left. It's like, okay, well, now Ruggs can, you know, immediately step in and be the main player. But now they added John Brown basically as a one-for-one replacement of Aguilar. And yes, I'm not really sure which one I would choose. Again, John Brown or Nelson Aguilar think that they're pretty comparable players. John Brown's a little bit older, but... I mean, I don't know. It just Ruggs is someone that I'm, I'm not super interested in. Just the way that he was his rookie year, and Brian Edwards, this they re-signed Zay Jones as well. So that's not a really good. That's not a clear of confidence for him either, because you'd figure that they would step in, they would give the nod to Brian Edwards to be okay. Like you're going to be the starting on the starting X on the other side. You know, we didn't bring back Zay Jones, but the Ma- the Raiders man are making some really weird moves, and, and Josh Jacobs is definitely going to be scary right now at his uh, average draft position. Answer to Henry Ruggs versus Brian Edwards might just be no. There's not enough opportunity <laughs> for either guy. And that's even, you know, before assuming what car is going to look like under more pressure and what could be a worse version of the Raiders offense. I mean, this was Gruden as a personnel man, as we're seeing, makes incredibly questionable, downright, objectively bad at times decisions. As a play caller, like they do some good things. And yeah, Andrew, and we were preaching throughout this season that Derek Carr, even though I've said some mean things about him in the past, was playing great football, really the best football of his career last year and even for portions of 2019 the fact that they're now taking away the offensive line like we have seen him be propped up for his entire career really with one of the highest paid offensive lines in the league I'm not confident that he still looks anything resembling the guy we saw last year once you take not only them away but also I mean Aguilar who's his number one wide receiver so hopefully you know Ruggs you draft him the 12th overall can keep up but if you're not even going to throw the guy more than five targets in a game and Edwards could barely find the field as well you know, it, they're not working out. It's not like we're seeing, you know, extended stretches of like Nikhil Harry-esque play where it's pretty clear why they're not working out. Just not even getting an opportunity. So it's it's unfortunate. And I guess another uh, example of, you know, sometimes with these teams, uh, you know, crowded wide receiver room with the number one tight end can be problematic if your quarterback is not Patrick Mahomes. All right, two more quick ones before we get on to the Patriots here. John Ross uh, signed a one-year deal with the Giants. You know, I don't think there's too much to say about that, particularly with the news that Kenny Galladay could be heading there. That would put Ross as a clear-cut number four receiver. If by some grace of God, Galladay doesn't go to the Giants, keep in mind only Aaron Rodgers, our boy Derek Carr, and Russell Wilson had a higher PFF passing grade on passes from 20-plus yards downfield last season. John Ross... Boom or bust, you know, end of the draft, fantasy wide receiver. I think we need to see how the Galladay situation turns out. But if he's in three wide receiver sets, I'm not giving up on John Ross just yet. Not like the Bengals have been an organization where we should just assume that someone that didn't work out there uh, can't do it anywhere else. Andrew, give me your thoughts on one of, I feel like, the DFS community's favorite under-the-radar under the wide receivers, Robert Foster, going to the Dolphins. Robert Foster had a stretch. I don't remember. I think it might have been two years ago where he was just absolutely on fire, I think, as Josh Allen's number one wide receiver. And, I mean, he's a really good deep threat. And that's the thing that works with him in Miami is the fact that he does have some experience with Tua. He was there his final season at Alabama. Tua was the quarterback in 2017. So there is some chemistry there between the two players. And if you look at the roster for the Miami Dolphins, you know, especially I know they've been linked to Kenny Galladay as well, I believe. So if you look at their roster, it's like, okay, well, they have Kenny Galladay and then they have Devontae Parker and then they have Preston Williams. They have all these like big bodied receivers, even Lynn Bowden kind of maybe kind of similar into that type of ilk, but they don't really have a lot of speed guys on the outside. Jakeem Grant would kind of fall in that category, but even he's like a shorter player. So someone like Robert Foster 
adds a different dimension of receiver that they don't really have on the roster so far. So I think that that from a standpoint could make him, okay, like we're going to have him on the roster because he offers something that other receivers can't do and he has some chemistry with Tua. So maybe this is, hey, this is the, this means that Tua is going to be the guy for sure because they brought in Robert Foster. Can't say that with a lot of confidence, but I think that he's interesting. I mean, if it's him or John Ross, I'll probably just take John Ross because I love pain and the name <laughs> cachet. So that's my thoughts on Robert Foster. I mean, if you look at through my, if you look at through Rodgers receiver sets around the league, he picked one of the softest ones to potentially get into. Uh, you know, obviously one of the faster. I mean, anytime you got a guy at 6'2", 200, can run a four four. You know, not the worst type of guy to at least have somewhere on the field. So we're pulling for you, uh, Robert Foster. You know, him, Preston Williams, Devontae, and Jasicki. Uh, you know, would be a pretty big, you know, kind of group of guys that I think could <laughs> cause uh, some problems. So I'm not still not 100 percent convinced Tua is the guy to do that. But uh, you know, getting a low cost weapon like Foster, who has at least proven the ability to stretch the field, uh, certainly not a bad way to try to help out your young QB. Andrew, we have reached, you might say, the main event because I know you are a huge, unabashed Patriots diehard. They, they, made, they made quite a few moves. I'm not sure if you uh, if you heard about some of these, but my goodness, John Smith and Hunter Henry are now suiting up for the Patriots. Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar as well. They have revamped what was pretty much anyone's idea of the worst receiving room in the league last year. Now we're looking, we'll see if Julian Edelman's back, but at a minimum, we now have actual professional players for Cam Newton to throw a ball to and Truly, two of anyone's idea of the top, you know, 10, 12 tight ends in the league, I think, in Jonu and Hunter Henry. I, we've talked up Aguilar. Again, like, everyone immediately did the crying, you know, the throwing babies meme, the Philly guy who's saying, you know, we didn't drop him like Aguilar. I get it. It's funny. It's a funny meme. I'm not saying we have to stop using that. Just understand, the guy was very good last year. Big plays, one after another. Like, there was that weird story that came out a couple weeks ago where Aguilar was, like, chewing the team out after a Dolphins loss. Like, that's great. He was saying, like, they weren't playing hard enough. They weren't. He had, like, 150 yards that game. You know who was playing hard enough? Nelson Aguilar. If Nelson Aguilar needs to tell you to try harder, like, you know, doesn't seem like his problem. I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking Aguilar's side uh, in that weird reported story that seemed to be uh, out for blood with them. So, I'm in on Aguilar. Kendrick Bourne, man, he's just there. He's fine. I'm not really expecting much out of him. But, again, it's an upgrade over, you know, Demir Bird and some of these guys that we did see taking the field for the Patriots last year. Give me your thoughts on this and who if any uh, of these guys you want to target in fantasy land. So looking at the skill players they brought in. So Aguilar, I think the most fun fact about Aguilar in comparison to the Patriots weapons from last year. So Aguilar finished sixth in the NFL last year in deep ball yards, which was more than all of the Patriots wide receivers and tight ends combined. My goodness. All of them. So that's just, I think that's just the fact that Nelson Aguilar is just significantly, it's so much better than Demir Bird is a huge step in the right direction. Yes, Aguilar, no, he's not a household name. This isn't going to, he's not going to be someone that you're going to build the team around. But for what the Patriots need, like, hey, we just need someone that can win a little bit more on the outside. I mean, Demir Bird is the king of wind sprints. He did it in Arizona. He did it in New England. That's all he's doing on the outside. That's all he does is just run go routes and just doesn't really get open. He doesn't really do that much. Yeah, he runs a lot of routes and but it doesn't, it doesn't turn into fantasy points or yards or any type of production. And, and that's something that Aguilar did this past season. Again, he reached over two yards or two yards per route run, which is something that we're always looking for. He and Jacoby Myers now are teammates that have reached that accolade this past season. So that's really good to see. And I, I think that he fits well with Cam Newton. Again, people are going to 
crap on Cam Newton that he can't throw deep, he can't do this. But again, as you point out in the the tracker that you're talking about or that you've been writing for all the fantasy updates from free agency is that, you know, his adjusted completion percentage on the deep throws, 20 yards downfield, you know, he was sixth best in the league and he was only a couple spots behind Derek Carr, who obviously had a really great season with Nelson Aguilar most recently. So I think that the Nelson Aguilar, I was really actually not super excited about it at first. Again, when you think Nelson Aguilar, you immediately think to the memes, to the drops. You're like, oh no, like, why did we just get this guy? Like, uh, I can't believe they just did this. But then when you really look at the numbers, it's like, okay, like, and this is the first time he's actually been good. You know, he was good in 2017 when Carson Wentz was good. Like, he's had spurts. Yes, he's been inconsistent, but... Again, if he's in the right situation, I think that he can do well. And again, he's going to have every opportunity, especially if the Patriots are operating with just 12 personnel. It's going to probably be Aguilar and probably Jacoby Myers as the two starting wide receivers outside of the two starting tight ends who I expect to play on the field a lot. Kendrick Bourne is really more of a red zone guy. So a fun fact about him. So inside the 10-yard line, he actually has the second highest passer rating generated when targeted. So he's someone who's a big body they can use. Again, maybe Cam will kind of look at him as a... Devin Funches type of player, a bigger body that he can go to. So he, Kendrick Bourne's been pretty good in the red zone. I thought it was interesting, too, that a lot of the guys that they signed were just players that they played against this season. So the Patriots play the 49ers, they signed Kendrick Bourne, they play the Raiders, they signed Nelson Aguilar. There's that famous picture of Bill Belichick hugging Hunter Henry. There's two like, of them, man. He's actually <laughs> They've had two emotional hugs over the years. <laughs> so, again, it was inevitable. You have the, the puff piece on Bill Belichick talking about how much he loves Johnny Smith. So... These guys are going to be all over the field, and I mean, it sucks to say that Aguilar is probably like the most fantasy relevant guy because John Lee Smith and Hunter Henry just seem like they're going to cannibalize each other at tight end. Again, in our best ball draft last night that we did, they went back to back. I think at the eleven twelve turn, so that kind of tells you where people are standing that they don't really know. I guess for me, if I'm if I'm picking one, I think I'm going to lean towards Hunter Henry. And the only reason I say that is because of the role potentially with the offenses. And I think this is something that we have to really pay attention to in preseason. If we have preseason games, like which Titan is blocking, which Titan is running routes. Like that's going to be super key. And when we make our decisions on some of these guys where it's like, okay, well, this is the guy who's not blocking. Like he is running routes. And I think that Hunter Henry might play more of the Gronk role. Johnny Smith could play more of an Aaron Hernandez role. And, And even comparing those guys, it doesn't really help a lot because you know, those guys both finished as tight end, top three tight ends their year in 2011. But at the same time, the Patriots also threw 600 times that season. The Patriots threw less than 450 times last year with Cam Newton. I don't anticipate that, you know, skyrocketing up to 500 plus. So just the passing volume itself isn't going to be enough. So I guess Hunter Henry, I think, might end up being more targets. But if Johnny Smith is more of the big play guy... Again, I'd hate to be cliche, but maybe Jonas Smith's better in a best ball and Hunter Henry's maybe someone you'd rather have in a traditional league because I think he might offer a safer floor on a week-to-week basis. Look, we can bet on things that haven't happened before, but we better have a pretty good reason to do so. And we're just, we need to take a lot of leaps of faith to be confident about either one of these tight ends. You brought up 2011 Patriots, Gronk was tight end one, Hernandez was tight end three. The 2019 Eagles had Zach Ertz as a tight end four, Dallas Goddard as a tight end 10. Those are the only two times over the past 10 years of one team enabling two top 12 PPR tight ends. So truly, I mean, it's just working against them. And even on another thing, man, I mean, you need to look at the history of high-priced tight ends changing teams, man. Just over the past five years, the list is a disaster. We've seen the following tight ends sign with a new team for at least $20 million. Martellus Bennett, Ladarius Green, 
Jesse James, Jimmy Graham, Trey Burton, Kobe Fleener, Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper, and Jonu Smith. Like all these guys, pretty much without failure, have busted. Now, I think Jonu and Hunter are objectively the best two tight ends on that list, with all due respect to late career uh, Jimmy Graham. So, hey, if they're going to, you know, be an exception to the rule, I get it. They're both very good tight ends. Obviously, the Patriots have a plan for them if they're going to devote that much money. But the biggest issue, as it usually comes back to on this podcast, is volume. They are not in these pass happy offenses like these other guys. So, hey, Maybe, you know, Cammy's on the one-year deal. Maybe they go ahead, get get enough, uh, you know, just they have enough guaranteed money there with these contracts to maybe p- pop out in uh, 2022, 2023. But right now with the volume and with the way these guys are already going as top 12 options uh, at the position, it's just going to be a situation I'm fading the names, the situation. It's going to boost them up the draft boards. Just in terms of raw targets, I cannot get behind either of these guys as a legit top 12 tight end. We have a few final thoughts, but first want to give a quick shout out. PFF has partnered with Symbol. That is S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Everybody, it's a stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. NFL free agency is here and whoever lands a top of the market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. So, you know, similar to kind of NBA top shot where you can try to make investments early on and hope the person, you know, really just starts balling out eventually. Hey, you know, here, if you have Will Fuller and he goes ahead and signs with, uh, we'll say the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're feeling better about about that Jaguars offense. You know why? Because you feel better about any offense that adds Will Fuller. So use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn that free PFF annual subscription. Andrew, we've made it through all these big names. Luckily, we've gotten some news here. I don't think we messed it up too much. Now, I want your final thoughts on two things. First of all, your favorite non-skill position signing of free agency thus far. I think it's got to be Trent Williams. The fact that the 49ers traded for him with a third-round pick and he just signed the fattest deal for an offensive tackle in NFL history at 32 years old, 33 years old, that's insane. And, I mean, the Washington football team for – all the great changes they've made it just i think that was one mistake that they it was obviously unfortunate the circumstance but imagine if he had stayed with washington you know we could be looking at washington even i mean it seems like a lot of people are high on washington imagine if they saw trent williams we'd be looking at them even higher than we are now but i think the 49ers are a team that's dangerous if they get healthy i mean that's all that happened last year was everyone just got hurt and they fell apart but if all their guys are back i mean we're looking at a super bowl roster with the best left tackle in the NFL. So I think we got to watch out for San Francisco. Yeah, good call. I'm going to go with the Chiefs, who were rumored to be in the Trent Williams uh, uh, sweepstakes. They were able to sign guard Joe uh, Thunny to a five-year, $80 million deal. Look, I'm just happy that them cutting Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz wasn't a sign of them all of a sudden embracing, you know, the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, we have a generational, I hate that word, sorry, but truly, Patrick Mahomes, a generational quarterback. We have this guy. He's good at getting out of pressure. Maybe we don't need to invest the same sort of resources in the offensive line. Nope. They've got Dunny. They got Kyle Long, who's going to be a part of that offensive line as well. You know, whether or not he can still be an above average player remains to be seen, but clearly they're treating, you know, their offensive line with uh, plenty of respect in terms of 
of their salary cap, uh, you know, allocations. So happy to see that. Happy that hopefully Patrick Mahomes won't be having to, you know, make things quite so hard on himself as he did in the Super Bowl when he had to run around for something like 500 yards in the backfield. Absolute madness. And yes, please, for, you know, all of, all of our entertainment sakes, keep that man healthy, Kansas City. Andrew, biggest winner in your mind in terms of projected wins and losses from a team perspective and free agency? I think it's easy for me. I'm going to go with the New England Patriots. Again, I don't necessarily convey the amount of money that they've spent in terms of looking more in the long term, but looking at their seven wins from last year, it seems like that's going to be not necessarily in the range of outcomes, especially if Cam Newton is able to come back and and be better in his second season. So I think that Patriots are probably my number one. And then we've been talking about them a lot, but Washington football team, they're making so many improvements. I didn't ask for two. Okay, well, if I go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Washington football team. I I think that I mean, well, I figured the Patriots were going to be homer picks, so I figured I should offer some more analysis on one. So Washington football team again, just out of courtesy, well, they've been making a lot of smart moves, bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick, top five defense, pretty weak division. Again, it should be better next year, but. Washington football team, I think, is going to be... I think they might actually make the playoffs again next year, but actually be a more legitimate threat in 2021. I wrote a top three team needs article shortly after the Super Bowl. Did the entire 32 for 32 series. My three team needs for Washington football team were the quarterback, cornerback, wide receiver. All right, all right, all right. Freaking Fitzpatrick. William Jackson is one that went a little bit under the radar, but truly talented a cornerback over there with the Bengals. Hasn't had a lot of help and kind of that that decaying defense over the years. But, you know, at his best, he is a legit number one corner or at least someone you can feel good about putting on island against a number one wide receiver. And then, yeah, Curtis freaking Samuel, man, who, as we all know, I've been hyping him enough. Truly, it was, in my opinion, one of the top three wide receivers in this free agent class. So, you know, that defense is just ready to go. They have all those that front seven power they just needed to get someone in the secondary they did that with William Jackson we got Ryan Fitzpatrick from Alex Smith that is a massive upgrade any way you want to look at it and then with Curtis Samuel there now we have the potential to have an actually explosive downfield passing game in addition to everything else he can do so absolutely love with the Washington football team Andrew we're talking winners here we're in agreement with the winners. Can we both agree the Raiders are the biggest loser? I mean, they just traded Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson today. I mean, I don't know what they're doing, man. It's not like the defense has taken, you know, a major step forward (laughs) with what they're doing. Like maybe I've missed some of the sign. I don't think they've done much on defense. Oh, and they signed Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, that's good, but he's one of those guys where, as we've seen in his, you know, just over the past few years, in the right scheme, Yannick's a game wrecker and he can do really good things. The wrong one, not quite so much. So, I mean, they cut LaMarcus, like, the Raiders are like a dumpster fire, man. This could be bad. Yeah, the Raiders are definitely turning the, the clock back on what they were trying to not do. And it seemed like, again, as the team that one of the only teams that beat the Chiefs. I don't know if they have this certain bravado to them that they're like, hey, well, we beat the Chiefs, so <sighs> we must be doing something right. But, I, I yeah, I can't follow a lot of these moves here. Not great. Well, Andrew, I hope this podcast was great and at least a little better than what the Raiders offseason <laughs> has been like so far. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, we're going to be back early next week. I would say Tuesday, wrap up the rest of free agency and get going towards the draft. But stay tuned. We know we'll not be having any more 32 for 32 series for quite some time. But myself and Andrew plenty of times will be back here talking all things news. Andrew, anything you got on the immediate docket, man? Or are we just still grinding free agency next few days? Doing free agency doing some biggest winners biggest losers coming out again we have to make some tweaks here and there as more news trickles in i know that 
one news item we didn't hit on, Mike Boone given a contract from the Denver Broncos, which is surprising because it just seems like the team doesn't want Philip Lindsay whatsoever, despite the fact that he's been really good and they just shelled out more money for Mike Boone, who wasn't even playing on their team. So it'd be interesting to see where Philip Lindsay wins or where Philip Lindsay goes. I think that's something to kind of keep an eye on. If, you know, he's been a good fantasy back and he's basically free for teams to, to try and get. So that'll be something to take, keep track of. But again, one player, you know, signings for some of the more high-profile guys for me. And, yeah, biggest winners and losers in free agency. Last free agent note, the Vikings signed Patrick Peterson to a one-year, $10 million deal. I'm not oh, sure what film they have been watching. Old PPED has not quite been the same cornerback in recent years. I firmly look forward to having all the Devontae Adams when they face off twice in 2021. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Peace.